in an outbow, somewhere deep in the suburb of Moabit, Berlin, two wicked women sit in contemplation of the world, huddled around the microphones of their home studio. We are singer-songwriter Samantha Waring. That's me. And broadcaster and writer Megan Spencer. Oh, that's me. And we're two Australian Wahlberlinerinnen, meaning optionally Berliners. Or Berliners by choice. Three Wicked Women is our podcast, the third woman being the beautiful, bright and belligerent city of Berlin, brimming with Berliner schnauzer and tales aplenty. Each episode, we will bring you seriously funny conversation, fearless music and wicked guests. Yep, it's another Vertumpter podcast. And no, it's not NPR. Three Wicked Women is very loose radio indeed. Welcome Welcome to to our world. world. Sam, your washing's ready. Yes, so with that very daggy and somewhat irreverent introduction, <laughs> we would like to welcome you to the very first episode of Three Wicked Women, side one, track one, the first single. Hi, Sam. Hi, Megan. <laughs> Good to be here. It is. And it's been a while, this road to Three Wicked Women. It's been a long time mm. coming and a lot of work. Yeah, a big journey. Mm. But I um, I have a question. Yes. Why yet another podcast, given there are so many out there, why another one? The answer to that question, Megan, is fibroids. <laughs> <laughs> so we're not trying to be deliberately obscure. Oh, yes, we are. No. Um, we would like to tell you how this podcast actually did come about. And the answer very much has a lot to do with, with fibroids. fibroids. So by way of explanation, do indulge us. We'd like to read you out a brief email exchange that took place at the end of 2015. So a few months ago now. Hi, Megan. You said you would like to see a picture of my fibroids as you hadn't seen yours. Here's the photo that they took at the hospital. Cheers, Sam. Wow, Sam, they are pretty, strangely pretty. I hope mine were as nice as yours. Maybe there should be a beauty pageant for fibroids or the things we have taken out of us. Thank you for showing me. Ah, no worries, Megan. They're smoother than I expected, but they are muscle tissue. They look like meatballs to me. I wonder if you could cook them and what they would taste like. (laughs) How would you judge a pretty colon, for example, or a pretty brain? Sam, I love that we are toing and froing in an email called Fibroids. So that's long story short, <laughs> an idea of how this podcast came about. Of course, it's not just about fibroids, but it is about women. Women have uteruses. Some of us don't. Some of us don't. Anymore. But we don't discriminate. No, we do not. We do not. You don't even have to be a woman to be on this show. No. You don't even have to have a fibroid or know what one is, but we decided it might be a great idea to invite some of the very wicked women that we know around us here in Mm. Berlin, which has a particular feminine energy, I have to say. I agree. Into uh, our home studio here at Sam's Place and find out what they're up to and all the interesting stories they have to tell. So that's pretty much the long and the short of it, isn't Mm -hmm. it? But we also have to confess there is another reason for doing this podcast. It is attached to an actual event which is coming up in July 2016, so only a matter of months away, and it is a global event 
a music event, a dance event. And Sam, you just happen to be behind it, don't you? Yes, it is called the most Wuthering Heights day ever or hashtag day of Wuthering. Right. So there's a Kate Bush attachment to this, I take it. Indeed. In 2013, a group called Shambush created a Wuthering Heights dance event, 300 people in a field in Brighton. In England? In England. Yes. And it went viral, of course, on YouTube and on the internet. My ex-husband sent it to me and said, I reckon you could get more than 300 people in Berlin, couldn't you? And I went, I reckon I could too. And I put up a Facebook event and within a week there was well over a thousand people interested and requests from the media. And this was recently? This was in January. Okay, this year. This year, 2016. And you called it the International Day of Wuthering? Well, I called it the most Wuthering Heights Day ever, not thinking that it would go global and I should perhaps come up with a more catchy name. And what would happen in this global day of Wuthering? Simply that we would get together in a public space and reenact the dance routine from the Wuthering Heights video (laughs) for no... Other reason Mm. than to celebrate Kate Bush. Now, it turns out that the date we chose, which is July 16, became the global date. But it's also two weeks before her birthday. And people were like, did you pick that date for any, the 16th, for any particular reason? And I'm like, no, I just wasn't busy that week last year. So... (laughs) So, and, and, and in a way, you've created a giant pre-birthday present for Kate Bush. For Kate Bush, who, who is a creative hero of mine and many other people. Um, 3,000 people have said that they're attending on Facebook. To the Berlin event. To the Berlin event. Mm-hmm. And there are now events in 19 other cities around the world. And so there's probably going to be about 20,000 of us around the world on the 16th of July. There's going to be a a worldwide glut on red dresses and brown wigs. Okay, so basically the invitation is for you listening to become part of this as well. Indeed. Sam, what is the global Facebook event address if people listening want to become part of this as well? All you need to do is type in the most Wuthering Heights day ever into Facebook or into the Google machine and... All the many events around the world will come up. If you go to the Berlin event, we list all of the global events. We have events in America, in Canada, in Britain, all across Australia and New Zealand. It's grown beyond my wildest imagination. So you've created a big flowing gothic monster. (laughs) Yes. The nicest kind. We intend to fling open the windows and chase away our nightmares. Fantastic. Look us up on Facebook. Join in. Create your own. Dance in your backyard, film yourself, upload it to the internet. Three Wicked Women. It's not quite right, radio. True that. So, Megan, we're not just going to talk about fibroids and Kate Bush. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Come on, let's do it. A whole hour devoted to meatballs. (laughs) Human meatballs. And a gothic... Pop princess from the 70s and 80s. Oh, amazing. Mm. No, we are going to talk to other people. We have several regular segments Mm. coming up and interviews with some very interesting people that we've discovered around Berlin. So today we're going to discover the best wine to drink with your dead grandma with our resident sommelier, Oliver Budak, and his regular segment, Gut Feelings. Yes, all will be explained. Uh, We speak to one of Berlin's most talented indie singer-songwriters. Her name is Donata Kramatz, and she is the female half of Berlin-based Dutch music duo Nasoyo. 
We tracked down Australian comedian and tireless world travel and adventurer Amelia Jane Hunter in her regular segment Commit No Nuisance and we find out why it was that she scarped to Manchester. Yeah, just to point out, she actually was the third wicked woman and then she got spirited off. I tracked her down and found out why, so we're going to talk to her very soon. And in a moment, Sam, we're going to travel with you and your mum to Stockholm. What took you to Stockholm? I am a lifelong and excessive fan of the Eurovision Song Contest. And for the first time this year, my mum and I, who have been watching it since I was born, finally got to go together and actually attend Eurovision and fulfil a lifelong dream. All right. Well, then let's find out how that went. Eurovision, douze poire, one Australian's lifelong obsession with the Eurovision Song Contest. My name's Sam Waring and I'm a Eurovision addict. Eurovision has been a part of my life since I was born. That's not even a lie. My mother started watching Eurovision in 1974, the year before I was born. And except for a period of two years after we'd moved to Australia and before the Australian government multicultural broadcaster SBS started showing the Eurovision Song Contest, I've watched or held parties for Eurovision nearly every year of my life. In May 2016, my mother and I fulfilled our lifelong ambition and went to Stockholm to witness the 60th annual Eurovision Song Contest. You're listening to Three Wicked Women and I'm on a tram in Stockholm on the way to Eurovision. I sampled the atmosphere of Eurovision, interviewing people on the way to, at the stadiums and at the after party. I almost got to interview Dummy Im, Australia's contestant, who came a very, very creditable second. But of course, the first person that I interviewed was my mother, Irene Waring. I understand that you've been watching Eurovision since ABBA in 1974. What is it that draws you back to Eurovision? Well, I've always been a fan of, uh, of Eurovision and it's just the whole cheesiness of the thing and the presenters who have presented it on behalf of Australia and then in England, of course, with the late Sir Terry Wogan and just making the whole episode of watching this fabulous show and all the entries within it. So this year we are here in Stockholm to watch the finals and uh, can't say how delighted I am to be here with my daughter watching this fabulous show. What is it about the cheesiness of the pop songs that you love? I guess you could say that uh, while some of the songs um, could be described as interesting and not altogether you know, one that one would choose as the winning song. It's not just the singing, it's also the performance. And I can think of many acts in Eurovision where the performance has, has outlived the song and has become uh, set in people's minds as a uh, song from that particular era is such fun and you have such a good time and you just get up there and you dance and you sing and have a few drinks and just have a wonderful time. And that's what Eurovision is about. Can you give us an example of a song that has outlived its initial life at Eurovision to live in people's memory? 
Oh, well, of course, you have to go back to, say, 1974 and you had ABBA. Then you had Bucks Fizz with uh, Making Your Mind Up, not forgetting the Babushka ladies who sang a couple of years ago. Thank you for talking to us. I'm on a tram in Stockholm with Christina and Ovid, two people in fabulous silver pants who are going to Eurovision. Please tell us, why do you like Eurovision? Because it's a great show and um, I love the performance because it's so bombastic. I know that Melodienfest is one of the most important national events in Sweden. You've been watching this your whole life? Yeah, I mean, I don't remember when I was a kid, but I remember seeing it from I was seven or eight or something. I watched it every year, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Have you been before? No, never. It's just that um, when we knew that Sweden was uh, winning last year, we were so happy when we heard it was supposed to be in Stockholm. So I actually got this as a Christmas gift from Arvid, yeah. Oh, that's very sweet of you. Why did you know that she would like it so much? Because every time Eurovision is broadcast, she dresses up like this. And we sit in front of the TV and she's like totally crazy about Eurovision. So I felt like when Eurovision has come to Stockholm, she has to see it. So. Yeah. That's lovely. Have you been a fan your whole life as well? Um, mean that much. But uh, I love the event and I love that um, people really get into the show. That's why I love it. Yeah, and also the feeling that uh, every country is united in this. So the politics and everything doesn't matter because you all just unite in music and that's everything that that's matters. Sweet. That's important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah I think. Thank you so much for talking to me about Eurovision. I'm talking with Colin and Philip on a tram to Eurovision. These, these guys are beautifully dressed up with lovely glitter faces. Where are you guys from? Are you locals? I'm from Alaska. Oh, okay. I'm from here, actually. Okay, and so from Alaska, how did you find out about Eurovision? It's not a big thing in America, right? Uh, I had German friends who told me about it. And what do you like about it? I like how goofy it is and over the top. <laughs> like, we don't have it in the U.S. I mean, it's the only one. It's a little like The Voice or X Factor or one of those, but more glittery, more joyful, yeah? Like, I like the nationalism attached to it and how upset people get if they don't win. And, like, even if they send something terrible, they're all about it. And so, like, that's what I think is funny. And, like, as an outsider looking in, it's kind of silly to see countries squabble over something stupid. But. So you've grown up with Eurovision all of your life, and Melodienfest is obviously one of the big things in the Swedish calendar every year. What have you loved about it over the years? When I was a kid, I think most kids really like it. And they go to teenage years and it becomes really tacky. And then when you get a bit more old again, it's kind of fun again. It's just, yeah, it's just good fun. It's over the top. It's kind of cheesy, but it's fun. So do you gentlemen have a pick for this year? Who do you think might win? I have no clue. I think Russia's going to win. Now you, you guys were saying that you thought Australia was a natural to be in there? No? I don't know. I like... I'm kind of worried they're going to win because, like, <laughs> I really think it should be a European thing. Like, But you know that Israel and Azerbaijan and 
they have, they've drawn these boundaries a long time ago that included Azerbaijan and Eurovision. They picked the countries, so they've been in it for a while. Have you heard the Australian song? Yeah. I have a problem with how silence doesn't fit the melody. So, and from an English-speaking country, I expect like the lyrics to be perfect. You think silence has too few syllables for the melody? No, it's too many. Like she says silence instead of just saying silence. And I think it's crappy songwriting. <laughs> you have some definite opinions here on, on pop songwriting. Is this, uh, Do you write pop songs? Not at all. I just, I really want Russia to win. So like, and Australia is their biggest competition, I think. So I can't like it at all. <laughs> Hello. All right. <laughs> <laughs> my name's Samantha. I'm from a Berlin podcast called Three Wicked Women. May I interview you? Um, yeah, okay. <laughs> What's your name? Right, my name's Paul. And Paul, I'm, I'm guessing from your amazing Union Jack suit that you're representing Britain tonight. <laughs> well, supporting Britain, yeah. <laughs> what do you think of the British entry? Um, I don't think it's going to win somehow. <laughs> Britain, Britain hasn't won since 1997 with Katrina and the Waves. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's probably the best song we've had in a little while is this one, but it's still not up there with the, with the Austria and the France and the Belgium and, and Australia. <laughs> what do you think of the Australian entry this year? I think the song's great. Um, whether it should be in Eurovision or not, <laughs> but... Uh, why, why should we? It's called Eurovision, you know, so just old fashioned. <laughs> but it might even win, so it's going to be an interesting one this year. Could be Oz. Paul, thank you so much for talking to Three Wicked Women. I'm talking with Grace and Maria, and Grace is an Australian and Maria is a Swede, so you guys represent the far flung ends of the Eurovision universe. What brought you here tonight? Well, actually, I've been living here for 12 months now, so um, it was a happy occasion when Sweden won. I expect a, a great evening. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Do you like the Australian song this year? The Australian is pretty good. I love the performance, and I really think that she has a very powerful voice. Australian maybe win the whole competition this year, and that will, that will be exciting. If so. I, I love it. I'm so proud of her and I got to see her performance at the official Australian Embassy party on Monday night and she did an acoustic version just yeah. with piano. It was just so fantastic. I'm so proud. I really hope she wins. <laughs> what do you love about Eurovision? Uh, I, I love that it brings everybody together and it's just such a spectacle. I've watched it on TV every year of my life um, until now and now I finally get to go so I'm very excited. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I've been at Eurovision before. When Lorena won with Euphoria, yeah. probably the best Eurovision song recently. Yeah, I love Euphoria and I also love Fairy Tale in Norway, 2009. <laughs> I'm in love with a fairy tale. What did you think of Conchita Wurst? Yeah, it was a really like powerful message yeah. and I thought like, she was a really worthy winner. <laughs> a strong uh, message. I think that's, that's definitely what you need with Eurovision. Yeah. Something that really like unites people. And Europe's in very troubled times politically. Do you think Eurovision has the power to remind people that they are a continent together? 
I think it certainly started out like that when they originally um, launched Eurovision all those years ago um, and maybe in the times when there is trouble like during the Cold War and then certainly now with the migrant crisis it's really um, it really helps to like bring that sense of unity to people and um, and it's just been like so fantastic these last couple of weeks to just be in this environment and everybody's so happy and it's just yeah it's fantastic. The reason that I first came to Sweden was because of ABBA. It was the 40th anniversary of ABBA winning Eurovision and the ABBA Museum and Björn and Benny put together a 50-member choir and 49 of the members were Swedes and then they opened one position for an international member and I won and they flew me here. So I got to perform with them and we've just reunited and we got to perform at Eurovision Village in front of 12,000 people. (laughs) That's how we met and now we're at Eurovision together. (laughs) That's wonderful. Thank you so much for talking to Three Wicked Women. Mum and I watched the show. The atmosphere in the stadium was electric. Complete strangers hugged one another and you could tell who the audience loved. And they loved Australia's dummy Im. There were plenty of Australian flags in the crowd and a lot of Welsh flags. Now banned under the European Broadcasting Commission's new rules on regional flags, which put the Welsh flag with the flags of Palestine, Crimea and Islamic State. Another controversial change was the new voting system, which gives equal weighting to the votes of the national judging panels and the public televote, ensuring that they can't cancel each other out, and which saw Dami Im win the judges' vote. But slowly, agonisingly, comes second by just 23 points as the public votes were added in, giving the 2016 Eurovision trophy to the Ukraine's Jamila. After all the excitement, Mum and I decided we needed a drink at the after-party. In a bar sneakily festooned with Welsh flags, we met Patrick and Sanna, Australian and Swedish friends, who'd just been in the arena to see the show. What did you think of the result? It was a nail-biter right down to the end. Yeah. I mean, the the best country won in the end, but uh, I was pleased with how Australia did as well. What did you think of the new voting this year? Uh, I actually think it got a little bit more exciting. It was really exciting at the end. Do you think that we should be in Eurovision every year? I mean, yeah, we're not Europe, but not every country that's in the Eurovision is in Europe. And uh, we've been supporting it for long enough. I think it's it's not a bad thing at all. I guess living in Sweden, they, they literally live and breathe the Eurovision. In Sweden, it's a televote, and it's a show that lasts for eight or nine weeks, I think, and it's the highlight of the winter. It's the only good thing going for the winter here, almost. Christmas is Christmas, but Melody Festival is the biggest news in Sweden for uh, half the winter. So an ambition fulfilled. I'd like to thank my mum for taking me to Eurovision and Daniel Hark for lending me the recording equipment. I learned that glitter, glee and pop music can bring Europe and Australia together. I felt like I was there with you and the throbbing crowds, the throng. Um, I have to say, I am just so impressed that you found a group of Australians dressed as kangaroos waving their little flags for Dummy Im, 
You met at four in the morning. morning, yes. She wasn't quite up to being interviewed at that point. No, you might not have been up to interviewing her. Uh, <laughs> quite possibly not. A lot of champagne had gone into that night. And I have to say there is a most magnificent photograph of you in situ in that moment of glee when you and a couple of other Eurovision fans who you just kind of picked up that night, mm-hmm. they came along for the ride, scurried over to dummy in when the crowds finally parted to reveal her. Oh, so excited. And you had your photo snapped with her. So you can see that on our Three Wicked Women Facebook page right now, if you so like, which is facebook.com forward slash Three Wicked Women Radio. Three Three Wicked Women, women, the sirens of radio. (laughs) Tell me your thoughts around... Australia joining Eurovision because the campaign's been going for a few mm. years. Yeah, I mean, mm. I, th- I think SBS, the multicultural broadcaster, has done really amazing work creating a, a working relationship with the uh, European Broadcasting Commission that's allowed us to go over there every year and host it. The reason that we have this is because we've been televising it in Australia since 1983, um, which is why I was able to watch it almost continuously throughout my life. And I feel like Australia, it's not a European country. It's a Eurovision country. You know, we should, I think we should, I know that geographically we are not, but, but culturally we are Eurovision. We contain people from all of those competing countries. We have a similar sense of glee and irony and cheesy love and love of big power ballads. We, I know some people hate watch it, although I know a lot of people that watch it out of it for the sheer joy. I always felt that it was the Olympics of music. So is it likely that Eurovision will expand out more globally? My theory is that they probably want to expand it globally, either with other regionally based, so like an Asia vision or a North America vision. The fact that they were broadcasting it this year for the first time on cable in in the United States and had Justin Timberlake as the halftime entertainment suggests to me that they're prepping for a global push. Testing the waters, you think. And I think Australia is a test balloon because Australia to the many peoples of Eurovision is, is kind of inoffensive and very excited and actually quite good at writing pop songs. Mm-hmm. So we've we've come fifth and now second. This year we had to actually go into the semis. We weren't an automatic entrant. And Demi M smashed it and she came second. So I'm curious to see, like, it'll test my theory that Eurovision wants to go global if Australia is actually invited back next year because of how well we did. Well, let's see. It'll be very interesting to see where your prophecy Mm. might take Eurovision in coming years. Samantha Waring, thank you very much for taking us to Stockholm. Megan Spencer, my pleasure. Is your show still called Three Wicked Women? Are we not still wicked? Sam, do you like food? I love food, Megan. Do, Do you I? love food? <laughs> yeah, well, look at me. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit fat, a little bit wobbly. Oh, <laughs> darling. Do you like wine? Oh, I love wine. Well, it's just as well then that we have a food and wine pairing segment each week on Three Wicked Women. And this is the very first. Now it's time for Oliver Budak's Gut Feeling. Freak food and wine matching with Oliver Budak, sommelier, Berlin. Well, may I say first, um, thank you for in- inviting me today and uh, making me part of this lovely broadcast. Isn't he? I should disclose that I am married to this very polite gentleman, shouldn't I, really? 
Perhaps. And I'm feeling honored to be the honorary uh, third wicked woman today. We're very glad to have you. <clears throat> we've we've seen you in a dress. You look nice in a frock. Because mm. um, what sommeliers possibly lack at times is a bit of a female touch. Mm. Seems to be a very male-dominated uh, uh, business. Yeah, so um, today's food and wine match uh, came up. Uh, as I recently have heard a, a friend of Sam's saying, he ate Toto Oma. And, um, he ate his dead grandma. Yeah. So, so that's the German term for dead granny. W- well, uh, that was something I have not heard before. And... Uh, <laughs> so cannibalism isn't usually very popular in Anyway, Germany. what it came down to, it, it's some kind of sausage which uh, is getting uh, cooked and it breaks open and it rather looks not so attractive. And uh. Anyway, so um, we came up with uh, maybe trying a traditional German Blutwurst mm. uh, with some sauerkraut and some smashed potatoes. Ooh, smashed potatoes. Smashed potatoes. Not mashed. Something I learned in Australia. Smashed. So if you just uh, cook the potatoes in the skin till they're soft and then smash them <laughs> with a sma- with a masher so that's uh, great you have them rather chunky okay yeah. so just to clarify the torta mm. oma mm. part mm. is a blood sausage that's been cooked poached. i believe is that the, right i believe the torta oma if you want to be technically correct and i haven't gone into depth is a is a wurst or it's a sausage which, which is called grutzwurst now, don't ask me how to translate that. In- <laughs> it doesn't even sound enticing enough no. in German to go any further. And the, the, the challenge here was now to, to use a wine, which of course should match to start with, but which should be also a bit left of field and not always drinking the same, either a Riesling or a Chardonnay or, or, as I say in the world of uh, food and wine, an autochton varietal. So um, a varietal may be indigenous to Germany. But as these grapevines root around like unbelievable, <laughs> you never know who is autochton and who is not. They're a bit promiscuous. <laughs> so welcome to migration. <laughs> and uh, no discriminating. So what we came up with or what I thought should be interesting was a, um, the grape variety called Muscatella. Ah. Um, Muscatella, a very old-fashioned variety in Germany, being known for being a, a, li- a little bit sweeter. Mm. So the idea was to find a wine which is not too acidic, to not clash with the sauerkraut, but which has enough body and, and interesting flavors, aromas, to not get lost uh, against the bold flavors of the Blutwurst. So trying, sitting there, very excited at the table, and, and it all looks very appetizing, and having um, my first bite to eat and having all the flavors going around my mouth i'm looking at this glass of wine with the muscatella saying you're my little baby (laughs) and i'm drinking it and my little baby was drowning a tiny little bit because uh, the wine didn't have enough acidity didn't have enough body to match um yeah it was it was just falling it, it still was nice, and especially for those of you which are not interested in drinking dry wines or bone-dry wines, that is definitely um, a very suitable match. It's a nice wine, but I like um, the wine and my food and wine matches to be on par with the food. I usually don't like the wine to be the hero and say, look at me, look at me, but at least on par, so there's a nice balance. So the wine got a bit lost. Luckily enough, there was another bottle open in the fridge, which was a Grauer Burgunder. Grauer Burgunder is, after Silvana, the third most planted varietal, white wine varietal in Germany. It's more known in the English world as uh, Pinot Gris or Pinot Grigio. 
it's it's a mutation, if you like, from the, from the family of burgundy varietals. What are its flavor characteristics? It's it's more acidic, which is very important to start with, but it has quite lush flavors. Mm. It has even nearly has some tropical aromas. Mm. I would say quite often you can find a bit of quince, you can find a bit of pear, you can find a bit of apple. People which are not too convinced of Grauer Burgunder speak about it's a bit of a fruit salad, it's a bit of a potpourri. Mm. I think of it as a summer wine. And that's that's fair enough. And pretty much living in Australia most of my last 20 years, that's the way I know this varietal. And if you wanted something a bit more se sexy, then you went for a French Pinot Gris. Mm. or in Germany, a Weißburgunder. So the Grauer Burgunder wasn't taken too serious till recent. I think there's a big change because when I tasted these wines, I had even trouble finding out that this is actually a Grauer Burgunder because it had quite firm acidity. It was a very confident wine, which matched fantastically with the food. So it and went well with the Blutwurst. Oh, it was wonderful. <laughs> it was superb. Dead Grandma, blood sausage. And Grauer Burgunder. Yes. And in Australia, if someone's listening to this and they race down and buy, somehow, find a Blutwurst at yeah. the local butcher. Uh, I mean, if you're in Melbourne, definitely the Queen Victoria markets. They should go and buy a Pinot Gris. And if you, yeah, you will, you would, you will not find a Grauburgunder in, in Australia, not to my knowledge. So buy yourself a Pinot Gris, yes. Buy yourself maybe a, a Pinot Gris from the Alsace region. Mm. And I think that would be a beautiful match to your Blutwurst. So two thumbs up for Dead Granny and Grau Burgunder slash Pinot Gris. Absolutely. <laughs> and smash your potatoes, yeah. don't mash them. Mm -hmm. That's the lesson. And if you're interested in seeing photos of this fantastic meal, it was. It was rich, but it was mm. great. I'll put some photographs up on our Facebook page, Three Wicked Women Radio, and our Twitter feed, Wicked Women Rad, because we are. Rad. <laughs> And if you have any suggestions for a freak food and wine match to put Oliver Budak to the test, you can send us an email, threewickedwomenradio at gmail.com. Oliver, thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Husband. <laughs> declare, declare, disclose, disclose. <laughs> He's polite, isn't he? He's very polite. Shall we have him back? I think we should have him back. Would you like to come back? It would be lovely because I have some alternative food matches now for the Muscatella because... Mm. I could not let that to waste and I found a fantastic food match for that. You're in the middle of Three Wicked Women. Wicked guests, seriously funny conversation and, of course, fearless music. You used to work in wine, didn't you? I did. I did. I worked in retail and uh, there was always about five bottles in the back room open for research purposes. Right. And until they installed security cameras in the drive-thru, we used to do things like run up to people's cars and do shoulder rolls across the bonnet and turn up at their window and go, hi, what can we do for you? <laughs> Scare the living shit out of them. It's very amusing. Like 70s cop show yeah, rolls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Clint Eastwood even. Hilarious. Oh, Dirty Harry across the... Oh, I love it. Yes. So was that... Before or after you researched the samples in the back room of the wine shop? Usually after, right. because it seemed like such a good idea. At the time. Now, aside from being a closet, I shouldn't say alcoholic really, should I? No. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. A closet wine connoisseur. Sipper. Sipper. Um, There's nothing you, closet about it. No. You're also a musician. It's true. I am. Yes. Here in Berlin also. Here in Berlin of, of some... 25 years standing now. Wow. I've been in bands for 25 years. Really? Yes. Music is a great love of both of ours. Oh, 
in, in various incarnations and we will do our best to introduce you to on, on Three Wicked Women to some of the people that we know, love and are discovering over the course of these first six episodes. And today's guest mm. is Donata Kramatz from a beautiful duo called Nosoyo. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm going to, yeah. I love the rubbish. We're leaving this in. <laughs> yeah. It's all... So we are very... Blessed, I'll say that. Blessed. Because our special guest right now is Donata Kramaz from Nosoyu. Did I say your name right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. good. And I also want to point out that we're also blessed because Sam here, I don't even know if she's wearing undies right now. She is wearing slippers, but she's sitting here in her nighty and her very opulent dressing gown kimono. Mm. Yes. Yes. So these are the advantages of broadcasting From production. one's bedroom. Yes. <laughs> Welcome, Donata. So first of all, and we are asking all of our guests this, how did Berlin specifically, in quotes, lure you here from Amsterdam, where you're from? Yeah, Amsterdam is quite a hard place to get away from. Daim and me, we were just uh, looking for a new place to go. We were kind of done with Amsterdam. It's a, it's, in the end, it's kind of a small town. So we pretty much that said the first door that opens, we're just gonna follow that. And Dame being number two of the of the duo. Yeah. So yeah, we kind of decided that we were just gonna travel and find out which place has the most attraction. And actually we thought we were gonna end up in London. I'm very happy that we didn't because it's really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> and are you enjoying Berlin? Uh, sometimes, yeah, it, it's pretty rough, especially winters. Mm. It never stops, you know. It just the never, winter. It yeah. never gets warm. I'm wondering how you came to be writing and singing in English. Well, I was just really always obsessed with language. I remember when I was a little kid, I had these Beanie Babies. Mm. And they had poems attached to them, like in little paper hearts. Mm -hmm. They had like a tag. I was translating all the poems. I was, I think six years old or something oh. and I was grabbing a dictionary and I was just sitting down and translating every single word for hours into English yes wow I didn't I didn't even want to learn a language I wanted to know the story of my little beanie baby <laughs> and um, <laughs> also I was completely obsessed with music so mm. when I started listening to music and I have to say Britney Spears Celine Dion were my first ones I was listening to them and I really wanted to know what they're singing so I learned the lyrics by heart and then I looked at the translations, which you had in pretty much every magazine. And I was always obsessed with it. So I came to school. My first language at school was Latin. Oh. And then we had our first English test and I nailed everything. And she was like, you know everything already. And I was like, yeah, that's why I took Latin first. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> You little overachiever, you. <laughs> yeah, I guess. No, it was just very natural for mm. me to learn English. And then I went to, to Argentina on my own to learn Spanish because they didn't have Spanish in school. So I was like, okay, I got to go somewhere where they have Spanish. Wow. And then I uh, went to Holland, not speaking one word of Dutch when I was 20. After three months, I said, no more English. Everybody was talking Dutch. So I thought, you know, I'm just going to cut the crap and... Commit. Wow, you're commit. hardcore. So you've, hardcore. Got, you've got like five different languages. Uh, yeah, kind of. Yeah, I also had French. I was also a bit 
obsessed with that, but I'm really not good at that anymore. It's so, so funny because there will be Australians listening to this going, what? Because we what are incredibly <laughs> monolingual in Australia. I mean, even our... I hear that all the time. ...children yeah. of immigrants. Mm. When I was at high school, the, all the kids I went to high school with, Turkish people, Greeks, Italians, etc., etc., they were all going to language school on Saturday mornings. They hated it. Actually, Daim, <laughs> number two of the duo... Yeah. He grew up speaking Turkish, Dutch and English. It was just so well, simple. Staying on language a little bit longer because there's an interesting happy accident that occurred to you and Dame when you were naming your band Nasoyo. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it was actually just before I went to Argentina. I was 16 and I um, took a Spanish class, I think like five classes just to be a little bit prepared. And so I learned Yo Soy Yo, No Soy no, no, no. So I am not this. I am this. My name is blah, blah, blah. Just really the, the basics of Spanish conversation. And I remember I was sitting on the bus uh, home and I kind of started building this no soy yo thing. And I thought it looked so good and it was so interesting from what it means. Like, I am not me. It's I don't think you can actually say it that way, but it just, to me, such a nice meaning like I'm I'm losing myself, I'm giving myself up into some kind of ecstasy. It's so you're surrendering to Yeah, yeah. The, the experience the of experience. Yeah. Yeah. So whatever that is, you know, traveling, performing, writing a song, you give yourself away for a moment and then you just come back. What's your relationship to an audience? I think actually it has grown a lot. Also hmm. because of Berlin, because uh, I started, when we came here, we were kind of unemployed. And, <laughs> you know, in Holland, we had a lot of network. We had a lot of people around us that we could always work with. We had jobs, you know, I was teaching. And then we came here and there was just no security at all. Hmm. Um, so what I started doing, I started playing solo. I just started playing at every open mic night I could find. And the gigs got smaller and smaller and smaller. And it was so interesting because I had to rethink my whole concept. I was feeling very strong and stable as a singer. But as soon as I took the guitar, I mm. lost all self-control. Mm -hmm. And I had to get it back. But um, it just really helped me, especially connecting with the audience. I started actually talking to the people. I started not seeing the stage as a kind of small little border I, start, I, I started to notice that people want to be talked to. They, they want to come to a show. They want to spend a night. They want to know what that person is feeling like right now. And that is what makes the night the most special of all, I think. Let's say you make a mistake on the guitar. And I do. You know, I really do. <laughs> um, and I say like, oh, guys, you can just laugh if you want to. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> you know, the, the whole atmosphere, it's just... It's mm, the changes. connection moment, it just, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's the connection yeah. moment. And then everything, and then they're like, oh my God, wow, she's she not... She spoke. She's <laughs> not trying to be perfect. It's so nice. <laughs> she's so oh real. God, she's so real. Yeah, she's mm. a human being. Like, And it's just like, yeah, it's fine. You're good at that now. I've been in the audience when you, <laughs> you've done that. In Neukölln at Lagari, um, Sunday Slips, which is a fantastic open mic yeah. night, and it's getting bigger and bigger. The momentum's huge. But 
that's when we, you and I first met because I remember thinking she's so on the ground with us. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I loved your music too. Like I was astonished actually at how good you were and I mean oh, that you. genuinely. But uh, I also loved the ease with which you related to us. It was mm-hmm. very special. We should have a listen to Six or Seven Weeks, which is the first single you released at the end yeah. of last year and then we'll come back and have a chat further with Donata Kramas from Nasoyo. You're listening to Three oh, Wicked oh, Women. Oh, 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 I wait around the corner, you keep me on the line, tell me you will come over, maybe I'm not tonight, oh. Seven Weeks by Nasoya, and we're in the studio with Donata, the lead singer and co-writer for the band. We have one final question for you, Donata. Can you nominate your favourite Wicked Woman? Um, I thought about this, and I think I have to say Nina Simone. I mean, she's she's wicked. She's just wicked. I think she's one of the best 
classic songwriters. I mean, her songs are being played in churches, at demonstrations, uh, like in movies. You have it, you have it just everywhere. It's they're on the radio. Uh, modern rock bands cover her songs to the day, and it's just eternal. Whatever she made is just eternal. And that voice. <laughs> and that voice. Uh, she just connects with the people and she she feels the music in such a raw and real way. It's very impressive. Mm. Well, speaking of uh, singing and music, what's your year look like for you, for No Sayu? You've got some gigs coming up or more releases? Yeah, we have some festival gigs. And uh, we're definitely planning to release an album either end of the year or beginning of 2017 and if people would like to stay up to date with your gigs and releases what website can they visit yeah we try to keep everything um up to date so you can either follow on facebook no Soyo music or twitter no Soyo music or instagram we really post everywhere we also have a website nosoyo.net n-o-s-o-y-o in case you're wondering exactly Donata, thank you very much for coming and speaking Thanks to us the in the home studio today. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure. And um, you are a wicked woman. You are a wicked woman <laughs> and we'd love to have you back. Three Wicked Women. It's a podcast. And rad. <laughs> Sex. Amelia Jane Hunter. Commit no nuisance. Stop out. Amelia Jane Hunter was originally slated to be our third wicked woman. She lived in Berlin too. And then she buggered off. Where'd you go? I got drawn into the belly of the beast in Manchester. What does that mean exactly? Well, I, I chose capitalism and, um, you know, earning a bit more money and, and delving into a world of true crime, you know, backdrop of real crime. Um, and it's been good. So you're a TV producer making a true crime show. Is that true? That is correct. So what's it like living in Manchester? Manchester's fun. It's very sort of uh, entrepreneurial. There's lots of cottage industry here. Great little breweries, microbreweries, fantastic cafes that, you know, shift seamlessly into a nighttime jazz venue. I'd like a few more chins, uh, but the English be who they be and, you know, they're as diverse as any group of people, but it's good. It's just, it's, it's an interesting place. I like it, but I do struggle with it because I struggle in general in, in a community where the demeanour is sort of glass is half empty. I mean, because my character is such that I'm quite demanding and I like people to sort of be worthy adversaries or at least match my spirit or at least my physicality in some way. I feel like here everyone's just a bit like, oh, yeah, that's, you know. And I think, what? Come on, let's hear some hard consonants, you know, sit up straight. This is a good place. It's the very, to say they're pessimists wouldn't be a very unfair statement. I'd like to see some more smiles. It's not the chuckle zone, as Bob Geldof once said. And what about Berlin? Do you miss it and why? I miss it every day. I miss it. I miss it for the relationships and the friendships that I've created there. Berlin's always been like that for me. As soon as I landed, which was like 11 o'clock at night, knee-deep snow, I just thought, yes, this place is awesome. I did a midnight comedy gig 16 people came into a, the cellar of an old bank with a draft of 
death that came through, but it was magnificent. Then we went out and got drunk with Moroccans. And I just thought, this is the town for me. You had a love affair with Berlin. Well, you still are having one, a long-distance one at the moment. Yes. <laughs> um, a German woman who I worked with goes, wow, you really sound like you are dating Berlin. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we're going steady. Things are getting serious too as well. I mean, it's, it's really, uh, as I, I say, it's one of the first places that's really embraced me for all of my, you know, vast array of stained patches on my tapestry. You know, my bombasticity, my loudness, my brashness, it's all welcome in that city. And you can actually find sort of a a way to channel it there so you're not annoying everyone. It's lovely. You feel like you're with like-minded people. So we're calling this segment Commit No Nuisance. Are you happy about that? I think... You are a bloody big nuisance, aren't you? (laughs) I think it'd probably be one of those signs I might ninja kick... Um, coming home drunk at night and try and like knock it down every time. Would you have a wee under it? Quite possibly if I hadn't already pissed my pants in the approach to my home. But yeah, I would do, I would lift my leg on that for sure. Commit no nuisance, Amelia Jane Hunter. She'll be back. Three wicked women, not quite right radio. So Amelia's actually back in Berlin now. She is. She's returned to us from the dire grey depths of Manchester. Return to sender. Yeah. <laughs> I, for one, am very pleased. Indeed, it's a pleasure to have her back in mm. the city. So we will have another episode from Amelia in Manchester talking about her love of cooking and her kitchen adventures as a tour guide in Kakadu. But next week, she'll be discussing her brushes with poetry.
Sam, we're coming to the end of our very first episode of the Three Wicked Women podcast. It's been very exciting. Thanks, Sam. That was fun. Thanks, Megan. I appreciate it. And I hope you, the listeners, have had a, a great ride with us. We must acknowledge, though, a couple of people who have helped us Indeed. along the way. I'd like to say a personal thank you to Wilhelm Bruckmer for the donation of some sexy headphones. He gave them to us for free for the purposes of creating Three Wicked Women. So thank you, sir, for your generosity. And I'd also like to thank Dan Huck for the loan of his mini-disc recorder for our location interviews. Yay, the mini-disc. Yay. Not dead yet. <laughs> and also, of course, to the wonderful James Tolson, who you'll hear us thank him again in our credits uh, for his assistance with setting up our home studio. We couldn't have done it without you. Could not have done it without him. And we can't wait to speak to you on our next episode, which is called Poetry. So we will be exploring it irreverently, of course, and of course. seriously as well. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Megan. Three Wicked Women is an independent podcast produced by Megan Spencer. That's you. It is. And Samantha Waring. That's me. It is. Huge thanks to sound wizard James Tolson from Berlin Tour Support. To this week's special guests... And to our regular guests, Oliver Budak for Gut Feeling. And the very wicked Amelia Jane Hunter for Commit No Nuisance. And the Three Wicked Women theme song is Stolen Kisses by Wasp Summer. That's you, Sam. And our percussive stings are by Oliver Budak. And we would love to hear from you, our wicked audience. You can drop us a line at threewickedwomenradio at gmail.com. Stay up to date with us on Facebook by liking Three Wicked Women Radio. Or you can tweet us at Wicked Women Rad because that's frankly what we are. Share, subscribe or download the Three Wicked Women podcast from threewickedwomen.bandcamp.com. And we can't wait to talk to you again next time in another fit of voluptuous panic. Cheers! <laughs> that was really good. I like that.